Hello and welcome to the mailbag for round 18. My name is Damo and also with me is Clarky. How are you? Yeah, another another Supercoach week in the books. Um, my my t- my my team is uh is is done due to lack of trades. Uh, we're so we're, we're shutting we're shutting down the trade and just hoping hoping that I finish out the season reasonably well. It's going to be tough to finish out the season uh, with some injuries popping up and some players being uh, managed on the training track. And I guess there's a bit of panic because of the way that is reported. The season is on the home stretch, though, so you will see some players get rested at some point, potentially, especially those looking at finals. Um, And with the season on the home stretch, questions for this podcast are starting to thin out, Um, but we do have a few we need to answer. So uh, shall we just jump straight in? Let's do it, babe. Corey Blackledge on Twitter has asked, should he wait for Tom Stewart from suspension? Or luxury trade Lockie Whitfield to someone now. How many weeks does Tom Stewart have left? Three. Two. Two, including this week. So this week and next week. I think holding that trade for a little bit longer might be the smarter play, meaning, yes, you should move Lockie Whitfield to Tom Stewart when he returns from suspension. Yeah, yeah, I think um, as well we're kind of at the, the pointy end of the season, so... Those two rounds, if they're going to cost you, I think as well, that's something to take into account. Like, what's your bench cover like? You know, um, if you've got someone who can serviceably cover for Tom Stewart's position for those two weeks, then obviously you don't lose anything. But, you know, sort of cashing in and then bringing Stewart back if you've got the trades could be very economical over the two-week period during, you know, such a tightly knit, you know, finish to the season. If it is only two weeks that Tom Stewart is to miss, he returns the week or the week after Supercoach Finals starts. So he would be a good trade-in for uh, for League Finals if that's what you're going for. Yeah, I googled it live. Uh, it was four weeks, two weeks ago. So there's two weeks left, including this one. Tim Walsh on Twitter. What should we do with Jack Crisp? What is there to do with Jack Crisp? Uh, as a non-Crisp owner, I have been putting my blinds up for his good start to the season and then kind of forgot about him. It kind of feels like his role has diminished a little bit. He's not so much a full-time midfielder, but he hasn't returned to his old position rebounding out of defense. He's almost been that winger on the opposite side to still side bottom at some stages during Collingwood games, which has meant that he hasn't been attending as many centre bounces. He hasn't been attacking the ball quite as much. He still gets his hand on the ball and uses it well when he has it, but he's but there's not a lot of there's not a lot of ways that he's getting points for his possessions because he's not getting quite as much as the ball. It kind of feels like a late season role change. Uh, Craig McRae will probably say his role hasn't changed, you know, as all good coaches do, but. I feel there has definitely been a role change in his responsibilities on game day. I feel like coaches say that purely because their role is to win the game. That's, you know, everybody's role is the same. I I definitely agree. Looking at his last three scores of uh, 80, 79, 77, um, that screams to me, all right, there is something different about his MO when he's on field um, or where he's positioned. Or it could also be, yeah, as you said, playing as like a winger, Sometimes it's just not coming to you. You know, you can use the ball well, but if you're just not seeing much of it. Um, 
I would say at 489, you know, you could definitely look to upgrade, um, especially at this point in the season. Going into Supercoach Finals, it would definitely be something that would kind of be a luxury, I think. If your team's complete and you've got trades in your pocket, there's definitely a lot of people that you can look at to get a really nice, quick, easy upgrade from that kind of price. To be honest, from his price, if you don't have a lot of money in the bank, you're probably going to get much of the same as what you already have with Jack Crisp. Um, Tom Atkins recently got uh, midfield eligibility as well to go along with his defense eligibility. He's averaging 99.6 over his last five. Who knows how long that role continues because Chris Scott likes to spin the magnets around. Braden Maynard is averaging 96.4 over his last five. Um, He's another one that could potentially help you or be a point of difference for you on the run home. We mentioned Jordan Clark on the pod earlier in the week with Patch and Leck. He's barely had a score below 80, but he's probably going to score in the same range that Jack Crisp currently is scoring. Same as uh, Nick Hind as well. I guess if you don't have Jordan Ridley, he's found a bit a vein of form which you could potentially swap Jack Crisp for, but how long this vein of form remains is hard to predict because they haven't been playing a key defender and Jordan Ridley's sort of been playing that role and he's been using his intercept ability as his best asset to get these big scores playing against these big key forwards and who knows how long it how long this um rich vein of form continues for as i said yeah i think there's um in terms of an upgrade path there's probably three players within about 50 maybe 60,000 which isn't too much i know it is it is hard to try and find that cash at this point in the season um but zach Merritt coming off a, a 140 uh, he's priced at 539 uh, ben Keys priced at five thirty, coming off a one twenty four. Christian Petrarca is five hundred twenty six, and you're there for the roller coaster, but the ceiling is there. For those guys, though, you will need to have a dual position player to switch someone into your defence to grab one of those players. So um, another player that you could have a look at, and you're probably trading him back in at this point. But um, do you think about trading back in Nick Dacos? I mean, there's. There's very, very, very good reasons why you should trade him in because his level of consistency is like you you can pay out the wazoo for that. Like you, you want, that's what you want. And he's shown that he can pull out those big scores and he's there when the pies need him. So it kind of makes sense as a one-for-one if, he, if you've got Crisp in your defensive line. It, it feels like most of the defenders that you want fit in that 540 to 550k sort of bracket. Um, I went. I just looked on the Supercoach list just now, and I moved the slider from 540k, and there wasn't a lot to really look at. I moved the slider one notch forward to 550k, and in, and in came Harry Hilmelberg, Mason Redmond, Sam Doherty, Adam Saad, Bailey Dale, George Hewitt. All these options that weren't there just 10k earlier in the slider. So it feels like to upgrade Crisp, you need 60, 70k in the bank to get a solid, reliable upgrade. But there are definitely cheaper options that you can look at to boost your team in the finals and in the run home. 
Yeah, I'm definitely. Uh, uh, my app obviously didn't update the prices, so my pricing was a little bit off on that last one. So consider this my self-correct. But I still think you know, if you're gonna upgrade Crisp, you want to go for a big dog. Um, I think Ben Keys is probably the easiest one to get to if you're going for like a solid upgrade. He's one of the easiest ones to get to. 540, so that's still 60k, and he's had a really solid season. If you can get your mid switched out there, but I think Nick Dake, I think you nailed it with Nick Dakos. I don't think we need to really discuss that one more. It would be painful trading in someone that you potentially traded out, but um, that's he's having a really good last five games since pretty much since the buy, he has been awesome. My favorite thing is when Supercoach historically comes back to point out that I made a bad decision several rounds prior. We'll move on from that question. Um, Harry on Twitter wants to know, is it worth turning Luke Jackson into Dylan Moore or Tim Taranto? If so, which one? Uh, I think it's a yes, but um, I wouldn't go for Tim Taranto. So my vote is for Dylan Moore. I wouldn't go for Tim Taranto because Jacob Hopper is likely to return and who knows what that does to the role of both Tim Taranto and also Stephen Cornelio at the same time. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one. It's um, Tim Taranto is not appetizing at all uh, for me, just in terms of the Giants still feel like they're trying to figure out what they're going to do for the rest of the year and for the future. So there's yeah, there's not a lot to love there. I would go with Dylan Moore. Dylan Moore has also been injected into the Hawks midfield at stages during games, which has really helped his score rebound back to where it was earlier in the year. And he had a massive 135 against Adelaide and 112 versus Western Bulldogs just two games earlier. So I think he is the one to really target with that trade. I probably wouldn't go for Tim Taranto at this stage until we know what the team looks like with Jacob Hopper back in that team. I've got a question for you, Clarky. Oh, hit me. What is the biggest lesson you will take into 2023? Oh, so there's there's so many lessons that I have and haven't learned over the past many years. Um, I think looking back on this year so far, um, the biggest issue that I had was consistently not listening to myself and just pulling the trigger a little bit too quickly. Um, I think sometimes just thinking out and planning out your trades and having sort of faith that you chose the people who you chose for a reason without trying to jump on to somebody who, you know, kind of jumping onto a platform that's rising or a player that's rising because you're scared that you need to catch up. Um, just kind of play play at your own pace, if that makes. Uh, I think that's probably the best way to put the lesson. Yeah, there's there's lots of lessons that I could take out of this year. And to be honest, they're probably lessons I learned in previous years, but didn't really put into action this year. Um, I mean, start with the obvious rookies. I continually ignore that. I mean, last year I didn't grab James Jordan. This year I didn't grab Corey Durden. I feel like they were two the, the two must-have rookies over the last two years, especially mm-hmm. in their respective positions. So I feel like I probably need to shift my focus and pick the guys that are actually playing. And um, that's one lesson that I probably had. But the biggest lesson that I'm going to take into 2023 is Every player I traded out, well, not every player, but a lot of the players when I was starting to get desperate to finish my team that I traded out, probably needed one more game. Just needed one one more game in my team. Yeah. 
because I got annoyed with Zach Butters. In the long run, that might that might have been a good trade because of his injury, but he pro- but he he really only needed one or two more games in 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 my team. Um, I got fed up with Stephen Cornelio too quickly. I traded him out a week or two before Leon Cameron was sacked. Oof. I these lessons are ones that you learn, but obviously I I couldn't foresee that Zach Butters was going to get injured. I couldn't foresee that Leon Cameron was going to get sacked. You can believe all the media reports in <laughs> in the lead up, but you, I I had no idea that Leon Cameron was actually going to get sacked. It seems when to be I, a trend this when, year. when I traded out Stephen Cornelio. So I guess a bit like you, Clarky, I need to I need to not be so desperate with my trades. Yeah, I think um you know you speak to um the best thing of just giving you know backing in the player that you selected because that's why you selected them. Um, whereas if I if I were to give specific examples, I jumped on Isaac Heaney too late and I brought him in and he just stunk it up and I ended up having to trade him out. So that's right there. That's that's two trades gone. Um, Stephen Cornelio, I did the same thing as as you I took him out way too early to go on to somebody else and that person ended up not being, I can't even remember who it was, just so many consistent decisions that were sort of made in haste or, you know, made in a a lack of confidence because, you know, we kind of forget as well, as much as Supercoach is about planning, like we talk about all pre-seasons and we all have the best of intentions of doing that. It's also, there's a level of patience um, and kind of learning to strike at the right time and not to go in too early we say this a lot when we answer questions and it's it's more or less yeah you could trade out that player to get that player but how far back does it set your team and i've always said to myself and i never and i never do this but i've always said to myself i'm gonna focus on getting the rookies off the field first because a player disappointing me and averaging 80 is better than a rookie with shaky job security averaging 60. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's I, I completely agree with you. I mean, speak, uh, speaking on the on the other side of the coin, uh, what do you think the biggest like positive thing, the best thing you did this year that you'll take into next year? Every year I pick a player that I feel like is going to take the next step and I back them in. A few years ago, it was Brayshaw breakout and that was a massive success because he's continued on that breakout and we could have Brayshaw Brownlow this year because he's he's that far ahead in the trackers on pretty much every website you look at. And And this year I went for Heath Chapman. He did really well before he missed with COVID. He missed a couple of games with COVID and then now he's missed three or four games with a hamstring injury. So, but he was going on, but he was starting to get really strong vein of form before he got struck down by both of those i think i just need to sort of plant my flag on on an on another player and back them in for the whole year because (laughs) because andrew brayshaw everyone was asking me after he scored a 76 in in round one that year what happened what why did he score the 76 and i looked for the reason why did he score the 76 instead of getting angry that he scored the 76 i found out that he only had something like 60 percent time 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 on ground he only had 19 disposals or whatever it was i found the reason why instead of getting angry at the at what was produced by him in that week. So maybe I need to look, maybe I need to look at the why rather, rather than get angry at a player for scoring 80. Maybe they scored 80 because they were tagged. Maybe they scored 80 because they had to move forward because someone got injured. Maybe they scored 80 because maybe they, they just had a bad game. 
Yeah, Ma- may- maybe they use the ball at 30%. Yeah, like maybe I need to look at the why rather than get angry at what is produced on the field and instead of trying to get them out of my team because they had that bad week or bad game, I hold on to them and back them in to recover because every player will go through a form patch, a bad form patch, but every player is going to go through a good form patch too and sometimes people fall into those traps of trading in that guy who's $300,000 averaging 95 across the last four games, but he's scored, but he hasn't scored above 70 in any other game for the year. And someone will trade him in because they'll click that little button that goes three round average or five round average and go, oh, beaut, he's cheap and, and bring him in. But you don't look at why this player is scoring so well or why this player is scoring so badly. You look at the score itself and get disappointed that it's not a high score. Yeah, it's, um, it's hard when you're kind of just looking at it. And I think... That's probably something that I feel like I've improved a lot on this year where there were players that I started with that um, have turned out quite well because I, surprising even myself, showed understanding of how Supercoach works in conjunction with football. Um, obviously, I, I, so I started with uh, Tom Sparrow, who, you know what, throughout the year, he hasn't been an absolute superstar. He's not been a Brayshaw breakout, but... Um, He's been really serviceable all year. He's not been somebody who's causing me trouble. He's been someone that I can just sort of stick there and just go, yep, cool, I can accept a 70 or 80 while I, you know, was looking at other things. Um, For me, it was, you know, seeing what was going to happen with Himmelberg during this GWS transition period. It's not, not in a sense of like, oh, well, yeah, he's scoring great and I'm a genius, but in I've been quite pleased with myself that I was able to recognize how that role change within the you know the scope of the forward line showed his potential so i think that's hopefully something that i'll be sticking with next year like limiting risk and understanding role and consistency and going with that for my starting team um as well as rookies this year as well um we're kind of back to rookie normal uh, what would what felt like where they were kind of thick and fast for a little bit and then trickled off so by the time all the rookies had dropped off it was kind of it was a bit like fall guys where the platforms are kind of dropping away underneath people and then you kind of trying to land on a platform that's below you but you're going to get to a point where there's there's no more rookies to land on and you're hoping by that point you've got the team upgraded so i think definitely the going with the obvious rookies like you said makes makes a lot of difference. Feels like we got quite deep there. And I think we've said all we need to say, and hopefully we've given people things to think about on the run home and for next season as well. We'll get into the round 18 tips and captains. We'll move on to something a little more jovial. Um, On Friday night, the Bulldogs play St. Kilda. Uh, Josh Dunkley averages 130 versus Saints over his last three games. Jack McRae averages 120 versus the Saints over his last three games. No St. Kilda player averages well against the Western Bulldogs. I looked at Jack Steele. I looked at Jade Gresham. I looked at Jack Sinclair. I even looked at Rowan Marshall. No St. Kilda player seems to really hit the ground running against the Bulldogs. So I feel like if you're going to put the vice captaincy on anyone in this game, I don't think I would go for Josh Dunkley. He hasn't had the greatest form lately in... Who knows what's happening with him this week because reported just before we started recording that he had missed the Bulldogs' main training, but that could be for a whole myriad of reasons. I actually think Jack McRae is the safer vice-captaincy option in this game. 
Yeah, that and that makes the most sense because um, Jack McRae is kind of back to his consistent self. Obviously, Bond is always a little bit of a wild card if you want to go early on something a little bit more chancy. But I think Jack McRae makes the most sense. I mean, both Western Bulldogs and St. Gilda both stank it up last week um, in the footy in general. So I think it's going to be an interesting one, I think, from a, a sport perspective, but I'm kind of expecting the Western Bulldogs to come away with a win there. I'm tipping the Bulldogs as well, and I feel like this game could probably shape who takes eighth spot. If St Kilda win, I would probably predict him to take the, that eighth spot on the on the ladder if they can get another couple of wins on the run home. They probably need more than a couple of wins, but if they can get this game plus, plus two more on the run home, then they're well in the mix for, for finishing inside the eight. If the Bulldogs beat St. Kilda, I think it's ended St. Kilda's finals hopes and probably does. And I mean, a win's a win and you want your team to win, but it means yeah. the, but the Bulldogs <laughs> probably can't make it from there either. If, 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 if they lose, then they definitely won't make it. The Bulldogs, if they win, they're only a mathematical chance in my head, in my, in my books, in my head, in my calculations, in what I can yeah. see on the ladder at the moment. Yeah, it's, you know, as long as it's mathematically possible, that's what we're all hoping for, I think, as supporters. Saturday early, Adelaide uh, against Collingwood. Uh, Rory Laird averages 135 versus Collingwood over his last three games. He has another very solid vice-captaincy option. Just every week, just assume that Rory Laird and Ben Keyes are both reasonable captain options. Actually, I would probably avoid the Friday night game and put the vice-captaincy on Rory Laird. Yeah, you know what? I agree. I'm going to do that now. Um, Saturday early, at the exact same time as Adelaide versus Collingwood. Oh, by the way, Collingwood are going to win. Collingwood should win. The Giants play Brisbane. Lockie Neal averages 134 against the Giants over his last three games. Now, Damo, you know I love you. But last week, uh, we pointed out a really good stat about Lockie Neal as a captain option. And I think we all know, uh, listeners at home, that didn't quite pan out for those of us who were like, nah, Lockie Neal. Lock, Lockie Neal. Who knew Jai Caldwell could tag that well? Yeah, that was, holy crap, also Patch. Holy crap. Yeah, shout out to Patch. He was very happy with that performance. From Football's Eastern. good for him. Um, I'm tipping Brisbane in this game. Yeah, Brisbane should win, and yeah, locking are GWS even tagging really anymore? I don't think so. Who knows what they're doing? They've got Nick Haynes as a forward now, so let's move on. Saturday Twilight, North Melbourne take on Richmond. Should should Lee Adams get his first win as caretaker coach? Is it the caretaker coach charm that might bring North Melbourne their second win of the season? Not against Richmond, <laughs> is that? I mean, it would take a noble effort. Well, not a noble effort, but <laughs> a solid effort. I actually, Richmond, if Richmond go in with no recognised Ruckman, I think North are a chance. <sighs> but I'm tipping Richmond. Yeah, look, and I, you say it, and I want to believe, because you know what, like, I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times, football is not bad forever, teams are sometimes bad for a really long time, and then they finally come good. That's the cycle of football, so I feel for North Melbourne supporters. Well, And, and there's a very good saying in football, or that can be related to football, 
It's never as good as it seems, and it's never as bad as it seems. Yes, that and good wanting to play in the midfield. My two favourite football quotes. Um, um, no but yeah, tip, Tipping options. Richmond, there's not a lot of captaincy options in that game based on previous efforts against each other. If Nankervis so, is out, maybe Goldstein because with no Sherry. That is the, yeah. If, if North Melbourne go in with no, re- yeah, sorry, if North Melbourne go up against Richmond with no recognised Ruckman, Todd Goldstein is a shout if you have him. We'll move on to Saturday night. Carlton are against Geelong again. Not a lot of players score well against each other in this game, but Sam Doherty averages 115 against Geelong over his last three games. Yeah, it's going to be a real tight one, I think. So, Sam, I, I probably wouldn't be touching Walsh or Cripps or Danger even. I've been going back and forth on this game as far as a tip is concerned. I think Geelong win. Okay. It's going to be like single figures. Last week, Geelong beat Geelong beat Melbourne. And that was like a very... If I was a Geelong supporter, I would have been satisfied with that. They dismantled everything that we were doing. Obviously, they've been watching the tapes and Melbourne struggled to be any kind of dynamic. So Geelong locked it in their forward line. The one thing I noticed, though, is that kind of Geelong have their kick mark game, which they were known for and they were like the slow old man's club this year they've added in such like ferocious tenacity going forward that it's just going into their forward 50 so quickly and I think Carlton are probably they're gonna have to really dig deep but I think Geelong are kind of outclassing a lot of like they're probably far and away the best team at the moment I would say in the competition just in terms of style of play and consistency of play they're certainly going on a run and uh with the way their list is you would hope that they are doing this all for the grand prize at the end so you're tipping geelong as well i'm guessing yeah yeah i I think i'm gonna have to but i kind of want carlton to win because leck needs to avenge me the other game on saturday night on it on at the same time again the afl has done a madness with this fixture Fremantle up against sydney once again, not a lot of players who play well against each other in this game. Andrew Brayshaw does average 115 against Sydney over his last three, though. Look, Andy Brayshaw, you can't go wrong. The guy racks up the footy. He's always in with a in with a shot. Um, I think you know, there's no if there's no real history for the the Millses, the Parkers, the um, even the Heenies. Heaney needs to kick at least five goals, I think, to score over 100. I'm tipping Fremantle. Again. I mean, you could you could have just gone with uh, I'm tipping Fremantle because I am Fremantle and we are better than Sydney. You heard it here first on the mailbag. Just quickly, I have been re- very impressed with the way Justin Longmuir has managed to adjust in games against Port Adelaide after after quarter time against Port Adelaide a couple of weeks ago. There was adjustments and then they got ahead against St Kilda at half time. There was adjustments and then they stormed home. The way that he's been able to make adjustments to move pieces around has been really good. And the fact that the Dockers are so adaptable to these changes has helped them more than it has in previous seasons. And I think the flexibility has really helped Fremantle this year move, especially considering that forward line seems to have an injury in it almost every every, every week. I think flexibility and adaptability has probably been the two biggest pros that any team that has been dominant has. And I think you can see it as a trend in all of the teams that have been, you know, the last few, even 
six, you know, six, seven weeks have been really good. Um, you know, Melbourne on paper, great team, but we haven't been as flexible as we needed to be. And that's why we're, we've won one, I think, out of the last five, which has been a really rough run. So it's something that, and on the contrary, teams like Geelong, teams like Collingwood, even Frio, it's been really awesome to see, you know, these teams step up. Um, I'm also tipping Fremantle um, because it's over in the West and I think you guys will just get it done. All right, Sunday early, Hawks take on West Coast. <sighs> yeah, who, who cares? I'm tipping the Hawks just because it's in Melbourne. I kind of want to tip West Coast just because it'd be funny. West Coast are on the cusp of winning another game, I reckon. Within yeah. the next like two or three weeks. Just quickly, it wouldn't surprise me if Willie Rioli misses. His dad died today. Um, oh, so. God. Um, hearts are with you there, Willie. Um, hopefully, hopefully we can see you back playing football again soon. If you do miss, um, never good to have a family member pass away. We'll move to Sunday afternoon. Melbourne plays Port Adelaide at Traeger Park um, in Northern Territory. Max Gorn averages 116 versus Port Adelaide over his last three games. Scored 160 in round four. Luke Jackson also likes playing in the weather, the hot weather. Um, I think Gorn's probably the main take from this one. I think as a captain option, maybe Clayton Oliver, we don't know. Um, we still don't know if he is going to play. Um, I was saying before we hit record that I think there is a chance it could be even he travels but decides on the day he's not up for it, which is fine. Like, you fractured your hand, it's a very tight turnaround. Um, Christian Petrarca has had a, f- you know, a few weeks of improvement in terms of consistency, but teams have really been focusing in on him. So I think... Gorn makes the most sense um, from the Port Adelaide side. Ollie Wines always a shout. I think um, he's very integral to that midfield unit for Port. Um, this is going to surprise absolutely no one, but I am tipping Melbourne. I think Melbourne bounce back here. I think they have to. I love it when we win, and I am sad when we lose. Football and Sunday twilight, and I'm gonna go out on a limb here a little bit. This is going to be the game of the round. Absolutely, game of the round. I love both of these teams. Essendon um, take on Gold Coast. It's it look. It depends on which Essendon shows up, right? That's true. Because I, Ess- I think I'm tipping Essendon in this as well. Now, unfortunately, and I want to say this publicly, Patch. I love you, uh, Jesse. I also know you listen. I love you. Um, I'm tipping Gold Coast. I think Gold Coast know that they are a chance. That it is, they know it is still mathematically possible. One thing that pe- that super coaches will have to watch out for is Jai Coldwell's next victim could be Took Miller. See, and there is no captaincy option in this game apart Zach from Merritt. him. Apart, but Zach Merritt only averages 110 versus Gold Coast over his last three. Has been in a great run of form, so every chance to be a good captain option. But I'll say it every, I say it every week. I don't like captaining in the last game of the round. No, I agree with that. Um, I think without Parrish, though, Merritt for Merritt owners is a very tantalising option. And uh, that's all of the captains and tips for round 18. Uh, We've answered all your questions, so it's time to sign off now. Clarky, thanks again for being my reliable sidekick. It's it's great to be here. I, I love being a sidekick. Uh, send through your football-related questions every week and we'll answer them. 
Round 21 will be our live season finale for 2022. Another detail to be revealed to you is that I will be at the event. No calling in from Perth. I will be in Melbourne for this event. I'm traveling over. Um, Until then, get your questions in using the jock mailbag hashtag, and we will talk to you again soon.